0: Welcome back. It's great to be with you again for another week. Uh, Just want to uh, say that today we will, of course, be continuing our series in Romans. And uh, we're going to cover the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 4 as we explore the gospel of faith. So grab your, your Bibles out, follow along with me. And as we begin, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we come before you and we're thankful that we can again open your scriptures and, and hear from you. Lord, we pray that you would speak through us. Uh, sorry, speak to us. And uh, that, that we would be responsive to what you are saying to us. Lord, may your spirit within us stir us and motivate us to not only hear and listen to your word this morning or today, or whenever we're watching but Lord, that you would go before us and prepare a way for us to enact and to act upon those things that you are guiding us into. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Last week from chapter 3, we saw that faith is the key that unlocks the gospel. Faith and faith alone is how we are saved. That, That is the message of the gospel, the good news that by faith... God declares us righteous because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, which paid the penalty that our sin deserved and is a gift to all who believe. It cannot be earned. But imagine, if you will, for a moment that you are a Jew and you've been taught all your life that your salvation comes through keeping the law. Is Paul talking about something brand new here? Is Paul teaching a new way of salvation? Is, is this something that, that's brand new? Is this revolutionary for them? Is it some sort of brand new method of salvation since we've seen Paul contrasting faith and the law? Was justification by faith a uniquely Christian revelation contrasted with Jewish doctrine? Well, it's a bit like this. Have you ever struggled putting a doona inside a doona cover? You open it up, you, you throw it in, you try to grab the corners, you know, give it give it a shake and, and then, you know, and it twists or it slips out and... Oh, my goodness, I have even resorted to climbing inside the doona cover to try and put that thing in the right place and try and, try and you know, then get out again without having an issue, trying to wrestle it into position. you know, One of the most ridiculous endeavours in the history of humankind, I think, is actually trying to put a doona inside a doona cover. Have you ever tried the star method? That's where you lay your duna cover out on your bed, you grab one corner with one hand, you grab another corner with the other, and then you, like, dive into the duna cover and stick them out and then try and snake your way back out with leaving it all there. Have you ever tried doing that? The duna never stays where you put it, though. It's stupid, (laughs) it's frustrating, and it's annoying. But then... Kelly and I came across a new technique, a new method that we saw on YouTube. And there there really is a tutorial on just about everything on YouTube. You see, what you do is you turn the cover inside out and lay it on your bed. Then you lay the doona over the cover. Then you roll from the top, you roll the doona and the cover together. Then you flick it through the bottom and then you just roll it out and it is mind blowing how easy it comes and if you want to take it to like the next level as kelly did you put press studs on the doona in the corners in the middle before you roll it down you put press studs so it stays there and so that it it never slips down it was it's almost like a life changing moment to no longer have to wrestle a doona to get it inside a doona cover. So was justification by faith some sort of new Christian method of salvation that differed from Jewish doctrine, like that new method of putting a doona inside a doona cover? You know, simple, quick and easy. Was it a new method that did away with all the messy and bloody sacrifices and replaced all of that with something new? Was was faith the new method of putting in the Duna? Quick, simple, easy, no fuss, no mess, no anguish, no frustration. Could it really be as simple as faith? What about all the works? What about all the stuff that they had been taught to do to please God? How could it be possible that justification is by faith alone? Well, Paul sets off to answer this very logical and practical question. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul brings up the example of Abraham and he makes it really clear that Abraham is not only the father of the Jewish nation, but he is the figurative father of us all as he is the father of all the faithful. And so what better example to use from scripture to point out to the Jewish believers and everyone else that this method of justification by faith alone has a very long history. It is not new indeed. It has really actually been part and a central part of God's relationship with his followers and is as old as Abraham. Paul says in verse 2 that Abraham has no ground for boasting before God because he received justification by faith and not by works. And Paul isn't the only New Testament writer to use Abraham's example to make a point. James does as well. And you might think that what James says is in direct opposition to Paul here. One commentator picks up on this and helped explain it. Constable writes... This verse may seem to contradict what James wrote in James chapter 2, verse 21, where he says, "Was not our father Abraham justified by works, when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar?" And, and the solution lies in the meaning of justification. So justification means to declare righteous. It does not mean to make righteous. In Genesis 15, 6, which is what Paul quotes here in Romans 4, we read that God declared Abraham righteous. In Genesis 22one 1 to 19, that story of Isaac, James wrote that Abraham's work declared him righteous. In other words, two different things. God and Abraham's works on two different occasions both declared or bore witness to Abraham's righteousness. And it would make sense that what we do, that our works as believers would in fact testify to the fact that God's righteousness has been declared over us. So what we do would testify to our faith. What we do, however, is not what saves or justifies us, but it does bear witness to our faith. A bit like baptism, In and of itself, baptism is not an act that saves us, but it is something that we do which testifies to our faith. It is the belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ that justifies us by faith and by which God declares us righteous. Trust in God's promises is, is what constitutes faith and what results in justification. The promises of God they vary. These promises constitute the content of faith. The object of faith does not vary, however. It is always the person of God. For us, God's promise is that Jesus Christ died as our substitute and satisfied all of God's demands against sinners. And it's important to note that that God credited Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. Verse 3, faith itself is not righteousness. Faith is not meritorious in itself. It is only the vehicle by which God's righteousness reaches us. However, it is the only vehicle by which it reaches us. Calvin once wrote, faith rests not on ignorance... But on knowledge. And this is indeed knowledge not only of God, but of the divine will. You know, faith is not ignorant. In fact, faith is informed, it is based upon knowledge as God has revealed himself to us. And of all of this, there can be a tendency to oversimplify the gospel a bit here. It is true in one sense that faith alone is all that is necessary for salvation. But it does go deeper. It goes deeper than just mental assent. It goes deeper than than simply acknowledging certain facts as true. Saving faith goes beyond that and rests our hope for the future on them without adding anything else. This is really important. It is not just agreeing with our minds, but it is placing our hope and our future on the promises of God. R.C. Sproul once said this, Hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. You know, I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of of the future that God has made. the latching on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made sounds amazing. But in practice, it it may not be easy. I would love it if God could map out everything for me, how everything fits together and, and how I can live and according to his will day by day what's coming up in the future, what's in store for me individually, my family, our church. You know, I'd love it if God was able to give me that sort of information. You know, how is is life going to be in two years, in 10 years' time, and and how are we going to get out of this this mess that we're in right now? You know, I I would have, if God could lay that all out for me, I would have super-duper confidence, you know, that I'm doing His will but I'm not sure if God really actually works like that. See, that's where faith and, and trust you know, come in. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan writes this. He writes, We are scared to make mistakes, so we fret over figuring out God's will. We wonder what living according to his will would actually look and feel like, and we are scared to find out. We forget that we were never promised a 20-year plan of action Instead, God promises multiple times in Scripture never to leave or forsake us. God wants us to listen to His Spirit on a daily basis and even throughout the day. My hope is that instead of searching for God's will for my life, each of us would learn to seek hard after the Spirit's leading in my life today. You know, how amazing is that shift in focus. What a practical way to put our faith in action. How can we place our hope and our future on the promises of God? By seeking hard after the Spirit's leading in my life today. For Abraham, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was his faith that God recognised and through Abraham's faith, God made that declaration, but then he backed it up with what he did. His belief informed his practice. You know, I love this way to sum up what this could mean for us in our life today. Martin Luther said, Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow. I've modified it a little bit. Live as though Jesus is coming back tomorrow but plan as though he's coming back decades from now. Now, if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would be the most important and the most pressing thing for you to do today? But why wait any longer? Why not just do it today? And if Jesus was coming back decades from now, What should you take into consideration in your plans for the future? What plans should you be making? Well, maybe you should make those plans and put those plans in place and and in action. There should be nothing holding us back. We should live as though Christ is returning tomorrow, but plan as though it's coming back decades from now. True faith means holding nothing back. It means putting every hope in God's fidelity to his promises. That is the gospel of faith at work in us. It is our great hope and confidence, and it must make a difference in our daily priorities to seek hard after the Spirit's leading in my life today and in our plans for the future. Paul, he then goes on to contrast faith and works. Verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul uses an example from everyday life. If salvation were based on works... Then God, in granting a person salvation, would merely be repaying what he owed that person, just as an employer gives a worker wages for his work. Under the gospel, however, works come under a completely different equation. Righteousness does not come to those who work for God, since all, like Abraham, are by God's absolute standards ungodly. Rather, right-standing righteousness comes as it did for Abraham by believing in place of working. Belief, it's faith, not works. Work yields wages that the person working deserves or earns. Faith receives a gift that the person believing does not deserve or earn. And incredibly, God justifies those who not only fail to deserve justification, but deserve condemnation because they are ungodly or wicked. This is how far God's grace goes. And to add weight to his argument, Paul, he then cites King David. From verse 6 we continue, Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Abraham lived before the Mosaic law, but David lived under the Mosaic law. And we find Abraham's story in the law section of the Hebrew Bible And David's is in the prophet section of the Hebrew Bible. Abraham represents the patriarchal history of Israel. In the past, you know, the patriarchs, the fathers. But David, the monarchy, the kings, the king period, the monarchy period. And Paul is using the example of David to add weight to his argument as he demonstrates justification by faith with Abraham who was before the law And now with David, their greatest king who ever lived under the law. And as Israel's greatest king, you could assume that David would have been a strong advocate for Mosaic law, for, for the law handed down by Moses. And he was, but he did not view it as the key to justification. The passage Paul quoted from David's writings, Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2, does not state directly that David himself received justification by faith, though he did. It stresses that those to whom God calls righteous, the justified, are blessed. To those who God calls righteous. David is not a new illustration of this doctrine, but a new witness to it. He is another example, as Abraham is, that justification is by faith alone and it is not by works. Paul doubles down on his point from verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were well, not merely circumcised but also walk who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The main point here that Paul is making is that Abraham was righteous before God, before he was circumcised. And therefore, circumcision is unnecessary in order to belong to God. When God declared Abraham righteous, he was a It was a virtual Gentile. It was 14 years later that Abraham underwent circumcision. Abraham's example proves that God's righteousness can be declared over us regardless of any external marker. It is by faith alone. You see... Circumcision was a sign and seal of Abraham's righteousness that belonged to him by faith. It was a sign of his covenant relationship that God entered with Abraham. His circumcision was a sign or label of what he already possessed. In other words, circumcision documented and ratified the righteousness by faith that Abraham enjoyed before his circumcision. I guess you could liken this for us as believers you could liken it to baptism. You could look at our baptism as the sign and seal of our righteousness that belongs to us by faith. Baptism documents the righteousness by faith that we enjoy before God as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with any external bodily marker, but by an event, an occasion, marking our memory as we publicly declare our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have not, yet been baptised we're putting together a list, there's already two people on it and I'd love to speak to you about becoming baptised if you haven't yet and about publicly declaring your faith in Jesus Christ and so it is by faith that God declares us righteous which will naturally result in works worthy of our faith but it is by faith alone that we are justified so What does this mean for you today? The good news of faith is that it alone is what justifies us. It is by faith alone that God declares us righteous. And what we do from that point is a daily choice we have to make. That reality will never change. But what we choose to do as people who God has declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ... Well, that's up to us. We could easily and without retribution live content and happy in our position before God, justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and simply stay content in that reality and do nothing more. Yes, you'd still have full confidence in your eternity sealed with Christ forever, in our sure and certain hope of an eternity with him you could do absolutely nothing more and that future would still be yours. There are countless churches full of people just like that. There are countless people just like that in many churches. But I reckon God has more for us. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And that future would still be yours. But God has more for you than that. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants you to do and be more. He doesn't want you to stay as you are, content in his promise of eternal life, which you have guaranteed through faith. God has prepared good things for you to do, and He has prepared them in advance. You know, next week we're going to continue with the rest of chapter four as we look at the good things that Abraham did after he was counted as righteous. And just like Abraham, there are things for you to do by faith as well. And that starts. It starts with seeking hard after the Spirit's leading in your life today. What is the holy spirit leading you to do who has he placed on your heart to speak to to witness to to be there for to invite out for a coffee to mow the lawns for what what ways is the spirit leading you to use your time talents and treasures to do his will you see i can't answer that for you I simply can't answer all of those questions of what God has got in store for you. I can't answer them for you. But I can encourage you to seek hard after the Spirit's leading in your life today and respond in faith and action according to His leading. The gospel of faith is the good news that through faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are justified. And God declares us righteous. From that position, from that reality, may we seek hard after the spirits leading in our lives each day and do what God has planned before for us to do, to step out in faith and to to go and, and be the very presence of Jesus and to bring hope with us wherever we go. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I am so enthralled by the position that you have given us by faith in you. Lord, you have declared us righteous. We are justified by faith and by faith alone, not by works, but simply by faith. Lord, may our faith in you lead us to act upon that hope that we have, And may we seek hard after you day day by day. May we seek hard after the spirits leading in our lives each day. May you help us step out and accomplish those things that you prepared for us. May we do and be more in this world as your presence to bring hope, the hope that is found in the gospel with us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for joining with us today. Hopefully to see you again soon. Blessings.